Welcome, sexy listeners, to The Trouble with Sex. I'm Dr. Tammy. My guest today is Dr. Ari Tuckman. He's a psychologist, a certified sex therapist. He's an international speaker and author of four books. The most recent is ADHD After Dark, Better Sex Life, Better Relationships. Ari is a pleasure. He gave me a whole free therapy session around my relationship since me and my whole family are, are, are ADD. And he will just astound you with his knowledge. He will define ADHD in adults. He'll give you all the symptoms. And he's going to talk about how to have a better sex life during the pandemic, particularly if you have ADD symptoms. As a sex therapist, I get asked about lubricants a lot. And I'm going to tell you about one of my favorites, UberLube. UberLube is really simple. It's silky, it's smooth, it's never sticky, and a little goes a long, long way. This lube is the best. It reduces friction, but you still get sensation. And what it doesn't have is even better. No harmful parabens, no glycerin, and best of all, no scent, no taste. It lets you feel like there's absolutely nothing between you and your ultimate pleasure. Go to uberlube.com and use the promo code Dr. Tammy, that's D-R-T-A-M-M-Y, for 10% off plus free shipping anywhere in the U.S. That's uberlube, U-B-E-R-L-U-B-E.com. Sexy listeners, we know you're out there, but we want to know more about you. And we want to know about your relationships and your concerns about sex. If you want to spare just a couple minutes, take our listener survey at the troublewithsex.com homepage and click on the survey link. Just type in your email, and as a bonus, you're going to be entered to win our new Sexy Overnighter tote bag. It's filled with tons of pleasure products. It's perfect for any steamy weekend getaway or even a staycation at home. So please visit the troublewithsex.com right now to take our survey and enter to win. Hi, Ari. It is a pleasure to be here in uh, in more ways than one. So <laughs> I'm really psyched to do this. Oh, thanks, Ari. I'm so excited to have you here because I think, first of all, I have adult ADHD. And so <laughs> it's <laughs> my husband's in the background nodding his head. <laughs> <laughs> yes, your husband will know if anyone would. Uh, yeah, that's because he has wicked ADHD. And so, and he's nodding now too. And my adult children all have ADHD. Yeah. And probably a lot of people I know, is it a thing now or do we just realize it about each other? I mean, there's definitely a birds of a feather flock together kind of a thing. <laughs> so that's part of it. But you know, the fact that you have kids with ADHD is not surprising. Like kids with ADHD often have parents with ADHD oh, okay. or an uncle or an aunt or a grandparent or whatever, right? Oh. So like typically you find one person in the family, you don't have to look that hard till you find somebody else that oh. you'd probably bet a few bucks on, right? So oh, I feel bad. I've like cursed them all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but they presumably got a lot of good qualities as well. So in a way, I feel like it works for them. Like somehow we're all very creative. We all do a lot of things. We're like expanders. We have a lot going on. We don't finish anything and our, you know, our house is a wreck, but we're like really right. super creative people. <laughs> well, but that's the thing. Like there's lots of ways to live a life and it's a diverse world that we live in and we need all sorts of different kinds of people, right? The trick for all of us is you got to find the right place in the world for you. 
and you got to find a partner that you get along with who hopefully bring some different skills to the table. Like you don't need another one of you because you got that covered. So yeah, I mean, it's about finding balance and the right fit for yourself. So tell us what is adult ADHD? Like we think of ADHD as the boy who can't sit still in class, you know, who's like climbing over his desk, who can't pay attention in school. What is ADHD and how does it show up in adults? Yeah, and okay, so this is a really important question because if you think the stereotype of that hyperactive Calvin and Hobbes, Dennis the Menace kind of kid, first of all, everybody knows that kid, right? Everybody knows who can't sit still and is all over the place. Like every nine-year-old boy, right? Yeah, exactly, mm-hmm. right? Now, who slips by is the folks who have the more inattentive symptoms. So it could be boys who are inattentive, but more so girls who are inattentive often slip under the radar because they're not drawing the entire class's attention to themselves and their parents aren't getting phone calls in second grade from the teacher saying, we got to talk. So these are the folks who are often, it's called, they're often referred to as having ADD. Technically, ADHD is the current term. So it would be ADHD, inattentive type, but whatever. The terms get used interchangeably. But these are the folks who have trouble with stuff like time management, procrastination, disorganization, staying on task, forgetting things, losing things, all that kind of stuff, which is definitely noticeable and definitely you're going to pay a price in life if it's not well managed, but it's not screaming out, right? And for girls more so than boys, and this is a total gender stereotype, but girls are more willing to kind of knuckle under and work really hard and look like they have it all together And boys are more willing to say, this is stupid. I don't know why I have to do this anyway, right? So like there's a bit of gender difference on that. But even if you're a super hyper kid, you're probably a lot less hyper as an adult. Like there's not a lot of 40-year-olds who are, you know, (laughs) running around the backyard and climbing the tree, you know? Like that's what you do at 10, but not at 40. No, at 40, you're drinking the martini and saying, no, the hell with it. I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) And maybe you don't get a job that requires you to sit at a desk for eight hours a day, right? Right. So maybe that's That's kind of a way to adjust. Yeah, or Um, you get three different jobs doing three different things where you're running around and compensate, right? Yeah. And, you know, it also becomes this thing where it's like, well, of course, you know, they're so all over the place. Look at them. They have three jobs. And it makes sense. Like, it totally fits. But there's this kind of interesting phenomenon. You guys, like, you and your husband are a little bit of the exception because much more of what I see in my office, and maybe this is just because who's unhappy and shows up in my office, is kind of the old joke in the field that those with attention deficit tend to marry those with attention excess. Mm. Meaning the super organized, the kind of anal, the definitely anxious, the we need to be packed for vacation a week ahead. Like I'm sort of exaggerating (laughs) here, but not completely. So on the one hand, there is an awesome complementarity. They each very much bring to the party something that the other one does not. And yet also the differences between us are what make us crazy and hate each other. So Yeah, I can kind of relate to that. The trick is how do we balance the differences, which is really the universal challenge for all relationships, right? All couples, all couples. Right. Both ADHD, nobody ADHD, two women, two men, two whatever. Like, it doesn't matter. There's always going to be differences. You're not going to want the same things at the same times in the same ways. So ADHD sort of exacerbates that universal challenge. Well, so let me ask you a question. So that can you be ADD and OCD? Because I think that's my husband's problem. (laughs) Yeah. 
Absolutely. Um, and in some, you know, for some folks with ADHD, they become a little OCD-ish, right? So they're not like full on. Exactly. Like they're not flicking the light switch 10 times. But there's this sense of like, to keep it together at all, I got to lock it down. Exactly. If it's not completely structured, it all goes to hell in a second. Even so, though my workshop is a total disaster, I know exactly where those thousand nails are. And I know you gave that one away. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. And that's a thing is this idea of if I get rid of it, what if I need it? And then exactly. of course the problem is you remember that one nail, not the 400 that you threw away. Nobody remembered, right? You remember that one time. Yeah. But you're in is, my, you're in my house right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you could definitely see how as much as ADHD is an individual condition that one person has, like you, we're starting to see the couple dynamics show up here, right? So what one person needs, I need to save everything just in case, becomes the thing that makes the other person crazy where they're like, I'm going to burn this house down <laughs> yes, and move. That's what I'm doing. Like I'm burning it. it down right now. I'm giving everything yeah. away. I'm moving. I'm running away. I'm done. It's chaos here, Ari. Chaos. Okay. I actually had this thought that you should just, <laughs> we should invent like asbestos paint and you just paint all your walls and ceilings and floors. And then when it gets too messy, you just fire up the flamethrower, burn it all down, sweep out the ashes, start over. I'm ready. I'm ready to burn it all down. Okay. So how much, how much do couples like really end up doing that? Like burning it all down. They like sabotage everything just to get the hell out because it's so complicated. It's so, there's so much chaos. There really is. And there's the individual layers and then the couple dynamic layers, right? So untreated ADHD is, you know, the person is working much harder and not accomplishing as much as they would like to, mm -hmm. but certainly not accomplishing as much as their partner would like to. And some of this is genuinely speaking, yes, the person with unmanaged ADHD says, I'll pick up the milk on the way home and they forget. They say, I'll be ready before a company comes and they're not. So there's a lot of not following through. And, you know, the non-ADHD partner may have their own issues, as any of us do. But then you get the interaction where, and this is the death spiral, is the non-ADHD partner starts to feel anxious. We have company coming at 6. If I don't start hounding you, like, on Tuesday for Saturday at 6, you're not going to do anything. But then the ADHD partner, like they've seen this movie before, so they know like Tuesday's not the real time. Like <laughs> seriously, we have until Saturday at 5.59. And frankly, hopefully they're not on time. So really Saturday at 6.23, really that's the deadline, right? So like, so they discount it or they lie. Sure, I'll take care of that. And then they didn't. And- Oh my God, you've been at my house partner. on Thanksgiving, I think. I think that's yeah. like my, my, my Passover nightmare right there. <laughs> exactly. Right. And the, the problem is both people are being completely reasonable, right? Like you're being a psycho controlling bitch, leave me alone. <laughs> right. Versus you're an irresponsible sociopath who can't make the gravy before midnight. I don't get it. <laughs> right. Right. If not for me, this family would fall to starvation. Right. <laughs> so, so funny. And the thing is, they're all crazy at that point. <laughs> they're all bringing out the worst of who they are. Screaming, yet, they're screaming, totally there's dishes throwing. Yeah, it's awful. Yeah. And of course, at that point, nobody wants to have sex with the person that they're <laughs> yelling at or feel like they're constantly being criticized, right? So like this great thing that brings couples together, hopefully, it becomes yet another source of disappointment and discontent. So is that when you start seeing 
people seeing couples or individuals when there's the, the sex shut down, nothing's happening? Or do you see people on the other end when they're having sex, but they can't concentrate? Like they hear a noise outside and they're like, oh, squirrel. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, it, people show up at all stages, but I think for the couples, it's more at that. It's more the first. They're not getting along. They're not having sex. They feel disconnected and unhappy, and they don't know how to make it better. But then there's also the individuals, and sometimes the issue is too high of a sex drive. And especially, and I mean, you know this, that old desire discrepancy thing, like when one person has a much higher drive than the other. And on the one hand, you know, based on some research that I've done, folks with ADHD do tend to have higher sexual eagerness. They seem to be, not in every case, but on the level of group averages. So they become like sex therapists or? (laughs) Yeah, for example, example. they sublimate some of that. But, you know, higher interest in sex. But on the other hand, if we kind of go to the stereotypical couple, right, the more anxious partner, non-ADHD partner who needs everything taken care of and doesn't feel like they're being heard and validated and their needs are being neglected and they're tired and they're exhausted and they're resentful, whatever sex drive they might have in other circumstances, boom, like they might want to have sex with someone, but it ain't their partner at that point. <laughs> oh, okay. So this could maybe be at the root of some infidelity. Like, because I wonder sometimes there's like what I know around infidelity is that some people have a higher seeking behaviors. And I noticed this during the pandemic, especially like some people are good at nesting and they're good. They like right. being home and they're totally happy. And other people, they're seeking behaviors, that midbrain behavior where that would normally get used to seek out a parking spot or a place to eat dinner or a movie. They're going insane because they've seen everything on Netflix. They've like made every kind of yeasty bread you can imagine. And right. they, they start seeking online now just because their brain has to seek out something. So they're online on Ashley Madison or they're chatting with people and they start seeking out affairs. Even if it's not really that they want to cheat, it's almost like an ADD symptom that they can't, you know, they can't seek out something at home and they don't want to clean up a closet. Who the hell wants to do that? I'm sorry, I don't want to do that. Yeah, no, but it's definitely true. Like, I think there's an important distinction here that it's less about truly a desire for sex per se, as much as it's a desire to avoid boredom. Yeah, I right? agree. Yeah. It's not I'm looking for an affair partner. It's that I'm going out of my head trapped on house arrest. You know, or it's this thing of like we're at home, which in theory gives us lots of time to have sex, except if we have kids, they're also always at home. And as has happened in my house and lots of other people I talk to, like bedtimes have creeped, right? So like <laughs> that thing of like you and your partner having some time together isn't hap or it's not happening or it's happening later. And then it's just like, uh, I'm just tired, maybe tomorrow. And then I'm just you know? so sick of you because you've been around forever and I haven't had right. a break. And normally I would go out, I'd have a life and I'd come home and I go, oh, it's so nice to see you. Now I'm like, oh, I'm so sick of you. Uh, you again? <laughs> you still here? Yeah, exactly. You don't get any of that distance to create yearning. Right. There's no longing. <laughs> right. There's longing for some, some, you know, space. Yeah, exactly. You know, you fantasize about what you don't have enough of, not what you have too much of. That's exactly right. So tell us, do you have like three or four symptoms that people could look for in themselves? Because I think sometimes we overuse the idea of ADD just because we're all a little ADD in our culture because we have so many things to focus on. Like before we had TV and electricity, I mean, you could basically do like three things. Yeah. (laughs) Now we have 3,000 things that we have to pay attention to. We are multi 
focused now. We have multi-attentions. Right. Like my kid learned how to change the oil in his car by watching YouTube while he was skateboarding, listening to Slipknot. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, And he exactly. can do it. He can change the wheel bearings in his car by himself. He was not meant to sit in a classroom listening to a boring history professor for 50 minutes. Yeah. But he can do multiple things and he's good at it. I don't know if that ADD is necessarily doesn't work against him in some ways, although it's debilitating another. So we are multi-attention focused maybe because they grew up on video games and they learned to do that because it's preparing them for the future of Star Wars. I don't know, where they're flying <laughs> spaceships and they have to know those skill sets. It's changing their brain to prepare them for space flight. I don't know. But the it seems like the excuse of ADD sometimes is a way to help us avoid responsibility. And maybe it's just the reality of how we have to get used to our society. I think it's sort of a both and that on the one hand, you know, all the technology and multiple demands and distractions and everything makes it easy to say, oh, I'm not saying on top of it, maybe I just have ADD, right? right? It's like a throwaway line. But also more distracting, much more easy to be impulsive kind of society. It sort of reveals those who have greater struggles with impulsivity, time management, planning, procrastination, right? Because there's always something more interesting to do than the boring thing you're supposed to do, right? So like, <laughs> I think it's, it stands out more. But in terms of what to look for, if you have a genetic family member, so not like a nephew on your spouse's side, if you have a genetic family member who has ADHD, you need to take a moment or two to reflect upon yourself and other people in the family. Because like I said before, your odds go up, I don't know, like five times. You're five times as likely with the genetic relative. But other stuff is just sort of chronic problems with procrastination, chronic problems with disorganization and forgetfulness and losing things. And there's this kind of famous saying that ADHD is not a disorder of knowing what to do. It's a disorder of doing what you know. For example, the trouble with like running late, that thing of like, oh, you run late, you should leave earlier, which is sort of like a no shit kind of like, (laughs) duh, like, hold on a second, let me get a pen so I can write that that little gem of wisdom down, right? As if they haven't heard that. Eight million times. So brilliant. That brilliant advice. Oh my God. Right. Hold on a sec. Let me change my life. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, like in that, that is the struggle with ADHD is that in some ways, you know, folks with ADHD have great skills and abilities like anybody else might, but it's like this thing of how can I be so good in these ways? And yet then I do these stupid things over here. Like, why do I shoot myself in the foot so much? And it's not passive aggressive and it's not self-defeating personality. And it's not like whatever. It's just sort of, it's the struggle to convert intentions into actions. And that's bad enough when it's for you and your own goals and intentions. But when it's your partner, then they feel like you don't care. If you really loved me, then you would have cleaned out the closet or then you would have been ready on time so I didn't have to run around like a maniac and not take a shower before company arrives, right? And the thing is, it's not an unreasonable position. If you loved me more, you would take my request more seriously, except there's this 
other piece in the middle that gets in the way of converting those intentions into actions. And this is why it's so important to identify if there's ADHD in the mix and then to do something about it so that both partners aren't banging their head against the same frustrating wall. And how does that show up in sex, like specifically? So I did this big survey with like 3,000 respondents of folks in a relationship with one ADHD partner and one non. And it was really interesting what came out of it is that on the one hand, folks with ADHD indeed do get distracted more often than folks with non without ADHD. This is especially true for the women. So in other words, distractible during the sex itself, but also harder time for, again, much more so for the women than, than the men of kind of shifting gears mentally into being sexual. So once the ball's rolling, we're fine, but it's that getting there. And sort of like if there's too much stuff around and there's that, what's that noise and who else needs to whatever and what's happening. And so there that just is sounds that like struggle. women in general. Yeah. And it, it just sort of exacerbates the, the typical there. But folks with ADHD do tend to have kind of greater sexual eagerness, as I called it. So in other words, greater desired sexual frequency, higher masturbation frequency, more porn use. The self-rate is kinkier, at least for the women. Higher desire to consider non-monogamy kind of, you know, across a bunch of different measures. So it's potentially a double-edged sword, right? On the one hand, having a good sexual connection with your partner has humongous benefits outside of the bedroom. Overall relationship satisfaction and sexual satisfaction overlap by about two-thirds. So if you want to be happier in your relationship overall, you should probably work on your sex life. If you want to be happier in your sex life, you should probably work on your relationship. And to quote back a thing that you have said, if you want to improve things outside of the bedroom, if you get the couple doing better in the bedroom, it creates a bit more of that positive energy, a little bit more resilience to bounce over the annoying thing that your partner just did, either because you felt connected because of the great sex you had last night, or to be really honest, because of the great sex you're hoping to have tonight. Like, I'm not going to be an <laughs> asshole if I'm hoping for something to happen later, right? So I'll be a little bit more generous. I'll be a little bit nicer. Now, I'm not a sociopath, and I'm not totally mercenary about it. But like, seriously, if you want the best out of your partner, you got to bring your best also. One would hope. One would hope. How do you feel that the pandemic is affecting people's sex life? It's hard, you know, like, because it, I mean, it's that, again, I guess it's that double-edged sword. For some folks, it's great because they can have sex whenever they want, right? They're not tied to before or after work and they're running out and commuting and everything else. So that can make it easier. But there is that issue with familiarity, like you talked about, and there's certainly more logistical constraints. There's also more anxiety, these days, as people were worried about what's going to happen, they're worried about family members, they're worried about, you know, economics and what's going to happen to their job or, or their partner's job or other people's jobs. So, you know, so that can have a real negative effect as well. But I think that it's sort of, I don't know, this is such an easy thing to say, but like, this is a challenge. Can we rise to it? Can we find a way to create a bit of novelty, to create a bit of distance, to keep it interesting and not just slide into lazy boredom, you know, <laughs> which is really like the thing in long-term relationships anyway. It's just sort of a little highlighted during these house arrest times that we're in. <laughs> right. 
And, you know, it's like this chronic anxiety, too, like this stealthy anxiety that creeps up when the news is in the background or just when you're, like, adjusting and then the power goes out or something, there's a hurricane. You know, everything's okay, and then the postal service shuts down. Like, you're worried, am I going to be able to vote? Everything's okay, and life goes on, and you feed the kids dinner, and then, bam, oh, yeah, the world is really messed up. (laughs) It's so stressful, and I think chronic stress, it's not like this acute stress of, oh, yeah, I'm losing my job. That's bad, but you can kind of turn to your partner and talk about it and maybe use your coping skills and your relationship, but it's the chronic underlying stress that... I think shuts people down just in general sexually. Usually people don't necessarily crawl into that little island of pleasure and go, well, at least we have this. It's not like you're in a giant crisis. You're in a slow, debilitating, life-eating, you know, horrifying crisis that just sucks the life out of you. And it's definitely true. And like, I've really, I mean, I've done this anyway, at sometimes more than others, but especially now, I really sort of sometimes with better success than others, but like moderated my news intake. Sometimes I'll go days and days without looking at the New York Times where I try to minimize how much MSNBC I watch because to watch stuff that either fills me with rage and makes me want to destroy the world or just makes me want to crawl into a hole of like, this cannot possibly be who we are as a country or who humanity is, right? I can't get hit in the head with that and then be like, hey, honey, (laughs) you want to get frisky, right? Like, no. And it just sort of like just saps away that sort of will to live. But it's also that like that sort of that spark, that fire, that like connection to being alive that hopefully we seek out in our sexual encounters, that it's not just going through the motions. It's not just sort of maintenance sex of like, or to steal a line from Robin Williams from long ago. I don't know what the big deal is about same-sex marriage because anyone who's been married for a while knows it's all the same sex anyway, (laughs) right? Right? Which is the thing we don't want. I mean, not that you're going to reinvent the wheel every weekend, but there needs to be some evolution and there needs to be some investment in that kind of spark of life, so to speak, and that spark of the relationship that is so easy to just slide away. And I think, especially for folks with ADHD who are easily pulled and distracted and losing track of time and like they get pulled into other things. And there's so much stuff in technology that's so compelling and is intentionally designed to get your attention, to hold it and to get it back as soon as possible that If you're not really diligent about setting boundaries on media, on technology, on information, you're just going to get lost in it. And your personal time for exercise, your personal time with your partner or with your kids or time for sex, like all of that is the first casualty to that. I totally agree with you. I mean, I think you can only have so many, you know, WTF moments in a day. (laughs) Right. Oh, my God, what is happening in the world? This can't be happening. No, this can't be happening. No, this can't be happening. And personally, I, by the end of the day, if I'm watching news all day, I can't stand men. I got, like, middle-aged men I'm, like, done with. So I do not (laughs) want to see my middle-aged white husband at the end of the day, like, don't like them. You're the problem, buddy. Yeah, you're the part of the problem, not the solution. So (laughs) I'm ready to have my girlfriend come over. Like, I'm just done with you. And also, if he's watching news and his ADD keeps him up till, you know, midnight because he can't come to bed – 
then that we're on totally different time zones. Like I'm yeah. I'm done for the day at 9:30. I could be in bed and asleep. Like I am exhausted. So that time shift thing, like that does yeah. not I'm not ready to have sex at midnight. I'm sorry. I'm asleep for, for two hours. So I I totally hear what you're saying. That makes total sense to me. So And that's and that really that time difference, at getting into bed too late. Mm-hmm. You know, when I looked at for these couples with one ADHD partner and one non, what are the biggest barriers to a better sex life? That was definitely up there because folks with ADHD tend to procrastinate. They tend to lose track of time. Things that could have happened earlier in the day, wind up sliding later into the day, which means that bedtime slides later, which means their partner's already asleep, or it's just, even if they're up for it, it's just not the best, right? Because nobody's bringing their best to that sexual game at the moment. So that is definitely part of it, is that sometimes the challenge on the sex life is just about time management. It's not about desire, and it's not about resentment, although sometimes it is. It's just that time management piece. It's that, again, of like best intentions gone awry sort of a thing. So the point of intervention is not at nine o'clock at night. The point of intervention might be at eight o'clock or seven or frankly at noon, you know, so that the day works out in such a way that we can get into bed at eight and actually have a good time together. So I have one more question for you before we take a break. A lot of people are drinking much more than they ever have before or on a yeah. more regular basis, or they're smoking more pot just to deal with what's happening. And how does this like self-medicating affect, especially if you have ADD, which you're probably doing that anyway, how does that affect your sex life? I mean, it seems like an obvious answer, but I'm wondering if you want to say something about that. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think absolutely. I mean, it's with so little else to do, you know, we seek what we can. And it's easy to drink a little bit more or to smoke a little bit more or whatever, because you're not going out and doing other things. So I think that it's one of those things that maybe a little bit of alcohol or a little bit of weed, if it relaxes you and you can be more present, then maybe it has some positive effect. But I think that peaks pretty quick and then it drops off so that maybe one drink you're you're better but by two you're not and by three you're really not and like you might think in the moment you are your partner might have a different opinion <laughs> you know physiologically things don't work as well but just mentally i think you're a little bit less sharp and present there so i think it's a thing of being attentive to it and really being honest with yourself and maybe being honest with your partner that after you've had a couple beers, like seriously, you're not as fun. Like it's not just that you're not as hard, maybe, but like you're just not as fun. If we're going to have sex, I would rather you not have two beers. Right. I'd rather you not be burping on top of me. And yeah, right. It's not as attractive. Yeah. That's a very specific fetish. You're going to have a hard time finding that. Right. Yeah. My husband doesn't like beer. He's like a scotch drinker, but I can, I know people that have partners that like, you know, they love beer and that whole um, bloated thing. Mm. It's not It's not really hot. <laughs> well, the thing is, like, to be honest for myself, I like, I love making cocktails. That's kind of my, I've become slightly obsessed with it. Oh, cool. And I know that if I make a choice to make a drink that night, the no matter how horny or eager or whatever I am before I pull out the mixer, I know I'm going to be less up for it. And if I have two, I really know I'm going to be less up for it. Not like physically, but like mentally. By the time we get our son into bed, the odds of me being like, ready to go, let's do this thing, 
are definitely less if I have a drink and even more if I have two. So that that in itself is neither good nor bad, but I just need to be honest with myself. Like if I'm choosing to have one and definitely two drinks, I need to be honest that like the odds of us having sex are a whole lot less. And maybe that's okay. And maybe my wife is more than okay with it at that moment. But I can't have the two drinks and then be pissed at her for the fact that something didn't happen. <laughs> right. It's kind of like saying, let's have sex after we watch this movie. <laughs> right. That always happens, right? right? Like, sure. Uh, yeah. That definitely works out. <laughs> yeah. Let's just watch this two-hour movie and fall asleep on the couch and then have really hot sex when we go upstairs. <laughs> right. And the challenge, again, kind of back to pandemic is it used to be maybe that you could get away with having sex earlier or somehow pull it off to have sex during the day or whatever. And now, like, again, if you got kids, like, they're home. So you can't have sex before the movie. So you are left to do your best afterwards. But even there, I think there's a difference between, like, it doesn't need to be a thing that you have sex at 6 o'clock at night. But I think for a lot of couples, a half hour makes a difference. An hour makes a difference. So instead of getting into bed at 11, we get into bed at 10.30 or at 10. So sometimes those little differences make a, a big difference. And again, for our folks with ADHD, that's hard. Like that time management to like hit that target to be like naked and ready by 10, despite best intentions, like getting laid is a pretty good motivator, right? Hopefully. And yet even that, they kind of shoot themselves in the foot on. So I think a lot of those sex problems aren't really about the sex itself, which that's not a new concept either. So sometimes you need to look a little bit further afield. You need to look a little bit earlier in the chain of events to really see what gets in the way. Yeah. So typical scenario, let's go up and have sex. Oh, wait. I need to take a shower. Oh, wait, I need to shave. Oh, wait, we need clean towels. Oh, wait, let me throw them in the laundry. Oh, wait, while yeah. I'm down here, I, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's another load that needs to come out. Oh, wait, I should fold those towels. Oh, wait, while I'm folding those towels, we have no laundry detergent. Wait, let me go in the garage and get the laundry detergent. Oh, wait, I forgot to take the groceries out of the back of the car. Oh, wait, well, <laughs> maybe I should clean out the trunk of the car. Oh, wait, right. wait, I forgot to get gas. I'll be right back, honey. I'm going to the gas yeah. station. <laughs> but don't worry, honey, you are definitely the most important thing to me in my life, despite the fact that switching the laundry seemingly took priority over getting naked with you. But definitely, you're the one. And like, that's the thing is, if that happens once in a blue moon, it's just kind of funny, right? <laughs> hey, remember that time that you chose to fold laundry instead of fucking me? <laughs> but then if it happens too often, folks with ADHD use up their free passes too quickly. Exactly. And it's just like, ugh, you know what? I don't even want to talk about having sex with you because I don't believe it's going to happen. Like, I do not need another disappointment. Thanks, but no thanks. Right. I'll just be up here reading War and Peace. <laughs> right. <laughs> Stay tuned for more after this. Negotiating sex can sometimes be intimidating. However, if you learn to speak openly and honestly with your partner, it can actually heighten your experience of pleasure. If you can find respect between you and your relationship, then you can appreciate the importance of taking care of yourself and your health and your partner. Consent means that it's your right to say no to sex without a condom. This is part of your own personal boundaries, and also taking care of your own sexuality. So for more tips and information about sexual health, you can visit uberlube.com resources. And while you're there, you can check out their really nice, smooth, luxurious, and condom-compatible lube. 
So check out uberlube.com, that's U-B-E-R-L-U-B-E.com for sex and so much more. What do you think is the biggest trouble with sex today? I think in the current circumstance of sort of many of us working from home and all the stress of it, I think it's, it, I think it's prioritizing it. Mm. It's that really making it happen. And it's taking care of ourselves. It's that carving time out from all the other stresses and insanity of life and taking care of ourselves, taking care of our partner, taking care of our relationship. I think it, it all sort of is, it's all important. And it's so easy for it to just slide by. And then it's like, you know, a decade goes by. <laughs> right. Not just a week or two. <laughs> right. 10 years later. We should have done that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, today's the day kind of thing. Yeah, today's the day, trust me. As the postmenopausal woman, I can tell you, <laughs> you better get on that now <laughs> before it's too late. So, Ari, we have a question from a listener. Alana from Florida says, My husband has ADHD, which has been heightened since we've been working from home together. His frustration with sharing our workspace has been through the roof, and I just don't get it. I feel like I've been very accommodating to his needs, but as a result, he's had no interest in sex at all. Where should we start to get back on track? Yeah, this is a pretty common thing. I mean, I think for any of us being thrown into working from home, if that's not really what we did, it presents additional challenges. As nice as, as it is to not have to get dressed up and not have to drive or whatever, like it does make it harder. And I've definitely gotten more calls from folks since quarantine on how much more they notice their own ADHD, their partners, their kids, whatever, right? It just sort of reveals what was already there. And that additional stress and the additional fighting and whatever that comes from it can definitely kind of tank somebody's sex drive. Now, by the same token, it can also increase it. Kind of, I don't know if you know the term procrastinate, <laughs> um, which is not original, but I think it's awesome. So that thing of like, I, you know, I don't feel like working, but like, ooh, what's on Pornhub? Um, <laughs> and it's so, free. <laughs> and it is, yeah. So, and that can be a thing. I'm all in favor of masturbation. I don't care if you look at porn, whatever, but... If you're spending too much time there, you might be less interested in spending time with your partner. And that's definitely true for our, our folks with ADHD, that kind of impulsivity in the moment, that boredom aversion slash, you know, sensation seeking makes porn really tempting. And it's super easy. And if your partner's kind of pissed at you, or if you're just a little like, ugh, with them because you've seen them 24-7 for the last five months, you know, there's that novelty, that there's that easiness, the predictability of porn that is much harder to do with an actual live person. Well, and if your partner takes a while just to get them going because they're, you know, they've been in their yoga pants for seven months. Right. <laughs> and, and, you know, they're like not really, you know, feeling sexy. So it takes them, you know, 45 minutes to get in the mood. Porn is like, they're they're always in the mood. Yeah, exactly. It's always there. They always and think like, you're hot. <laughs> right. Even if you haven't yeah. shaved. <laughs> <laughs> and you don't have to do anything. You don't have to like be nice to them for a while. You don't have to check in. You don't have to earn it in a way. I have a, a couple I'm seeing where, for the non-ADHD woman, the fact that he, the guy has crap all over his side of the bedroom, it like stresses her out and it takes away from her being like sexual in the moment. So the thing is, not only does he need to be nice to her, he also needs to clean up his crap. Mm. Like Pornhub doesn't care if you got a bunch <laughs> of junk on your side of the bed, right? right exactly. So like, so, you know, like life, relate. I don't know, nobody's ever heard this before. Relationships are hard. 
right? Like <laughs> Wait, they let take me work. write that down. Wait yeah, a minute. Write hold that on. down. We're putting that in the show <laughs> but, notes. Yeah. Quote so, Ari Tuckman. Yeah. So you like, heard it here, that, folks. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> now, hopefully, it's way better. And like again, like porn, whatever. Like you know, it certainly serves its purpose. And there's definitely some good stuff out there. And there's a lot of stuff that's just garbage, right? But like it is not as good as being there with a real person. True. So it takes more work, but hopefully the payoff is greater. And if the payoff isn't greater, then it perhaps takes a different kind of work to figure out how do we make it good. And like that's part of, I don't know, I've got this line I use a lot that relationships, a good relationship pushes you to become a better person, right? And there's nobody who's going to push you to work on your stuff more than your partner is. And to keep the relationship good, you got to work on your stuff, but to keep your sex life good also, you got to work on your stuff and you got to be willing to be vulnerable. I mean, you say this all the time, right? You got to be willing to be vulnerable. You got to be willing to be, to kind of put it out there. You got to be willing to tolerate what your partner puts out there of like, wait, what, what do you want to do? (laughs) And then negotiate respectfully and in good faith to create a sex life and a relationship that works for both people. (laughs) That's so true. So, what do we tell these people in Florida about getting back on track? Like, how do you feel? Like, you know, I tell people they should have a sex date. Like, you should, mm-hmm. you should have one a sex date once a week. If you are working from home, stuck with your partner, I mean, I still think you should have a sex date once a week. I think it yeah. almost becomes more important. Like, do you think that that is harder for people with ADD or it's more important? Like, how do you feel about that? I'm curious about your opinion. Yeah, I mean, I think it. I think it is important because otherwise it just drifts away, not with any intent, it just sort of does. So I think in this case, I would wonder how much of this is sort of ADD stuff that the guy's just having a really hard time with work. And is that like, what do we need to talk about or do different there? How much of it is about the relationship and how much of it is about sex? And, you know, like, let's look at it at all levels. But, you know, it may be that before the sex day, you guys go like, I don't know, maybe you get out of the house and go for a walk just around the block just to see something different. Or maybe you each kind of go your separate ways for a little bit and then you come back together. So something, if there's too much closeness, how do we add a bit of distance in a good way? Yeah, exactly. I'm not clear if the frustration is that they're in the house or that it's his job or that they don't have enough space or, you know, maybe she's constantly, no offense to our sexy listener, is she checking in with him all the time? How are you doing, honey? Can I get you anything? Is everything okay? Why are you mad? Are you, are you having a good day? Is, is, is this meeting okay? I heard you yelling, you know, can I get you a cup of coffee? Like, that's annoying. Don't do that. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and it, you know, it's also, that's a stylistic thing. Some people love that. And then other people not as, like, they don't need as much of that. Or for folks with ADHD, it can be a thing that it's like, it took me an hour to get focused on this stupid report I have to write. And then if you come in to give me a hug and say, I love you, that's great. But like, you just cost me an hour. And that's sort of a struggle sometimes where, because it can take a while for sometimes to really kind of get the wheels turning and get locked in on something that their partner doesn't get it. It's like, I just came in and said, I love you. It was like four seconds, seriously why are you so selfish that I can't take four seconds of your time to say I love you or to ask you what should we have for dinner? Because they don't understand that it's not four seconds. It is way more than four seconds for this person to maybe like get those 
wheels turning, get everything loaded back up in their brain and figure out what to do. That's so true. And then if you have kids at home, you know, there's such a misunderstanding about kids and teenagers with ADD. So if you have one parent that's like, told you to clean your room and why didn't you do it? And what do you mean you left your papers at school? And the other parent's like, dude, he has ADD. Like, I, you got to go easy on him. And the other one's like, I don't have to, you know, like there's so right. much drama around having kids with ADD, with the parents with ADD, who, you know, the husband left the briefcase at work and he's yelling at the kid because he left his homework at school. Like, oh my God, the chaos. Yeah, and it's that polarizing that happens. You know, one partner, one parent becomes more and more easy because the other one's too hard. The other one gets harder and harder because the other one's too easy. That's exactly what happens. Or this is what happens between the couple on other things when it comes to cleaning up. And there's this big tug of war that happens. It really kind of brings out the worst. But it's kind of, it's an interesting thing because sometimes the parent with ADHD is more lenient because they're like, dude, I know what it's like. Yelling at him isn't going to help. Exactly. And then other times, actually, the parent with ADHD is more the hard ass, ironically, where they're like, I worked hard and I've been successful and I made it and you know, you can't coddle him or her because blah, blah, right? And like- I pulled myself up by the bootstraps and- (laughs) Right. And that whole thing, because they don't want to acknowledge their pain or vulnerability, or they have this mistaken belief that it's all about, I don't know, working hard or something. I don't know. Like, and certainly working hard is important, but it's not the whole story. And there is very much a balance to strike there between pushing for more and understanding someone for who they are. And that's true in parenting, but it's just as true when it comes to relationship stuff. So kind of finding that good balance. And when it's out of balance, you know, one of the things that goes is your sex life. So true. So Ari, can you leave our listeners with any last piece of advice, something that they can do today that might help their sex life, change their relationship? I think I would say make sex a priority. And that, again, I'll sort of go back to a line I said before. If your relationship is important to you, then your sex life should be also. And if your sex life is important to you, then your relationship should be as well. Like, you got to work both sides of the fence. And it's not always convenient, and it's definitely not always easy or fun. But, like, this is the price of admission. If you're an adult who wants to have a great sex life, you need to act like an adult. Like, you need to do the hard stuff. You need to be good to each other. You need to ask for what you want. There's no other way for that to happen. It's easy to have hot hookup sex, but that has its own challenges as well. And, you know, it's it's the sex that happens in a really good relationship that is potentially the best because you know each other well, you know what you want, you know how you work well together. And that is important. Like that is what keeps people together for the long haul, especially when there are additional challenges in the relationship. And, uh, you know, the part that stands out for me that I think is so good is ask for what you want. I think that's so, so hard and takes incredible amounts of practice. And what else you got to do? What else is going on in the world? Like, this is great time. (laughs) Practice asking for what you want. Like, that's incredibly good advice. Yeah. I mean, there's so many things we can't ask for at this moment in history. So we might as well ask for the things we have some shot at getting. Right. This this, You have control over this. Like, everything's going to shit around you. You might as well get that. Right. (laughs) Yeah, that's great. So, Ari, how can people find out more about you? Because I know they're going to want. They're going to want to find out more about your books. They're going to want to find out more about your work. How do they find you? So I have a whole bunch of information on my website, Adult 
ADHDbook.com. And I've got information about all four of my books. I've got links to past recordings. I've got information about upcoming presentations I'm doing and, you know, sample chapters from my books and all sorts of stuff. So that is definitely the place to go, adultadhdbook.com. And I have one last uh, question. It's a yes or no question. Medication, yes or no? Big, big yes. Medication for ADHD is the most effective medication in all of psychiatry. It is not addictive if used correctly. It is incredibly helpful. It's been around for decades. Best research medication, all of child psychiatry, the same meds are used in adults. I'm a big proponent of medication for ADHD. And you're giving out free samples? or Sure. <laughs> <laughs> actually, I'm a psychologist, so I got zero vested interest in medication. And truthfully, actually, I, I lose business because of medication because when people go on meds and their life gets better, they don't need me as much. So, like, if anything, I'm shooting myself in the foot here. <laughs> but I'm a big proponent of medication for ADHD. Well, Ari, you have been just a delight, and I have totally enjoyed talking to you, and we're definitely going to have you on again. Thank you so much. My pleasure. This is fantastic. I'm really psyched that we could do this. I am so psyched that we could get you on. And thank you to all of my sexy listeners. I know you're going to want more of Ari Tuckman. Just find out in our show notes what his favorite ADD cocktail is. Find out more at thetroublewithsex.com. Stay safe, stay well, stay sexy. Until next time, I'm Dr. Tammy. Today's episode is brought to you by Uber Lube. To find out more, go to thetroublewithsex.com or email me at drtammy at thetroublewithsex.com. Join our mailing list, follow us on social media, sign up for our newsletter, or send me a question. The Trouble with Sex is produced by Brandy Savitt and Jane Applegate. Our audio is by Flavor Lab, New York City. This episode was recorded on location by Bruce Hirschfield and mixed by Eric Stern with music by Bruce Hirschfield. Bye.